Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hey listeners, I want to tell you about a new partner, Arostia, a new coffee roaster based in Queens. This company was created by and is run by a huge fish fan, Andy Hollander, who hasn't caught a hold your head up since 12, 15, 95, but is definitely not bitter about it. I've had this coffee and it's really great. Andy started roasting coffee during the pandemic, taught himself, and then that turned into this label, Arostia, which launched late last year. I had a bag of the Ethiopian coffee and it was gone really quickly because I liked it so much and I drank a lot of it and I need more. The beans were grown at an altitude of 2,100 meters above sea level, which contributes to a dense bean that continues to develop its flavors after the roasting process is done. The tasting notes include apple, raisin, and caramel, and there are more coffees coming very soon. So support this fan-owned business and try the coffee today. And for Osiris listeners, there's a 10% discount code on the site. Use the code OSIRIS at checkout for 10% off your order, and stay tuned for the launch of a coffee subscription. You can order and sign up for the mailing list at arostia.com. That's A-R-O-A-S-T-I-A.com. And you can find Arostia on Instagram and Facebook. Thanks, Arostia. Osiris. Hello, hello, hello. Happy 2007 to all of you out there. The peak of indie rock, the peak of blog rock. We're going to get into all of that. Today is Friday, August 18th. This is the Helping Friendly Podcast, the 40 for 40 edition, where we are we have reached the year 2007. Probably the last year where people... Yeah, definitely last year where people were like, there's just never going to be fish again. Although there were slight hints of where we were going. Um, We're going to dive into so much about this year. We have shifted our focus in today's episode as we have reached the 24th year in fish history. Hard to believe. We are not yet into the 30s yet, but we're getting there. Um, The 24th year in fish history where we are finally focused on Mr. Paige McConnell his solo project and a show of his from July 8th, 2007 at High Sierra, the High Sierra Music Festival in Quincy, California. I am Brian. That is Megan. It is Friday. It is hot here in Colorado. 
We are a couple weeks out from fish dicks. We're just kind of in that in-between dog days, but how are you doing, Meg? I'm great. It's beautiful here in the Berkshires. It's like 70 and breezy and sunny, and I got to pick up my kids from summer camp today. Oh, that's a big day. Yeah. Yeah. So Did I you have enough up. time off? Yeah, I did. It was a month. I mean, I saw them a week ago when we had visiting weekend, and I spent the whole weekend camping with them, and it was amazing and so special and incredible to be present in the moment with them like that and meet all their camp friends and be around all these girls and all their moms and important women in their lives. It's, it's an all-girls camp, and it's just super vibey and very girl power, and I love it, and it was great. So today I picked them up. They've been gone for a month, and just so many tears from the girls. So many hugs, so many tears. It was so sweet. Those are memories that like you just, I mean, they're the best best stuff in the world. Um, I remember going to summer camp as a kid and uh, you'd leave, even after like a week, you're like, I know these people better than anyone I've ever known in my entire life. And we're going to be <laughs> friends forever. And most of them I've never talked to since. And that's just kind of the way it goes. <laughs> but uh, the memories were amazing. The time was amazing spent. Um, that is great that you are a whole house again. Yeah. Um, my son went back to school this week, uh, which is just like the greatest thing in the world. Uh, finally get some <laughs> peace and quiet in the house when we're trying to work here and whatnot, but, um, summer's coming to an end. We are getting to that point in time yeah. where we're starting to look towards the end of fish summer tour. Uh, we've got goose tour on the horizon, eggy tour, fish fall tour. There's just so much that's happening. Um, and we are in that transitional period. Um, we have at the top here, before we get into everything, we have some, I think somber, sad news that we want to uh discuss there were there was an announcement today about the um health and well-being of uh james casey the saxophonist and vocalist in uh tranastasio's band billy and the kids played with phil and friends he's done a ton a ton of stuff over the last few years um meg do you want to share a bit of info and how people out there can help Absolutely. Yeah. James has had a really intense battle with cancer and he's working really hard to get better. And there is a GoFundMe that is being put out and being shared by a lot of people. We're going to put it in our show notes. And so even if you can just contribute a little bit, it makes a big difference. It has grown tremendously over the past few days. It's really kind of heartening to see how people are contributing and giving to James. And this is someone who you know, it's not just the medical bills, it's also a lack of income right now that he's working against. So that's another reason why we need to support him. So despite the controversy on Twitter, please donate to him and um, ignore all the people who don't know the facts and spread negativity. Controversy on Twitter, I wasn't aware that that was something that existed, but um, I'm sorry to hear about that. But yes, James, um, I don't know, I'm as, as someone who's Cancer has touched my family in, in a number of ways. Uh, help from a financial standpoint is a uh, uh, an immense thing, um, and it's not easy for people to ask. And it's uh, definitely the type of thing that um, people need because uh, medical bills are awful, and food and income and all that sort of stuff uh, really affects people during this. And you're just him and his family are at a point of. Um, almost weakness trying to battle through this. And so any sort of help to take any burdens off of their shoulders is a good thing. Um, all right. Transitioning. And thank you to everyone in the chat who is sending James your love. Thank you guys so much. That's amazing. Um, 
transitioning to this pod and transitioning to a um, time in the world that I have uh, just immense nostalgia for. This is 2007. I was 22 years old. Uh, I went overseas for the very first time in my life. Um, I lived before going overseas. I lived in the greatest apartment I will ever live in in my entire life, like ever. Uh, wood floors, big bay windows. I saw three mountain peaks out my windows. Uh, I had just like these amazing old speakers that like every record I listened to sounded like the greatest record I've ever listened to. The lighting was really nice. I was right across the street from a great pizza place and a bakery and a record shop and an ice wow. cream shop Take right around the corner there. from my favorite it's breakfast so ever. Oh, it was amazing. Um, I would go back there in a second. It's now been refurbished and it's like a $700,000 condo, but uh, you know, it's just <laughs> the way of the world. Uh, <laughs> I rented the place for $625. If anyone's oh been in Missouri, God. Montana, you know, the Babs apartment complex, that's where I was at. And uh, I, it was the best. Um, so 2007 for me was like the peak of that kind of like, um, you know, you're not really an adult, but you're doing kind of fun adult things. Um, I was still in school. I was deep in my studies. Like I said, I, I was about to go overseas for the very first time in my life. It's kind of like the the big kid period in your life where like you can do cool things and you can afford yeah. to do cool things, but like you don't actually have responsibilities. Um, Megan, where were you at in 2007? And do you have as fond of memories of this uh, year as I do? Cause I'm, I'm going to just keep gushing. I know. I'm excited to hear all of your stories. You know, it was a pivotal time for me. I turned 30 this year, so I had a big party on the Lower East Side of Manhattan and got to rage and dance with all my friends all night. And then I I got pregnant that fall and something that I was trying to do. And I was very excited to be pregnant with my daughter, Mia, and she was born the next year. But um, yeah, I was teaching fourth grade in Harlem and starting a family. So it was a very different time. I was, well, we'll get into the music, but I was listening to comforting music. I wasn't branching out very much. I was listening to a lot of Grateful Dead. Neil Landry just said that uh, you just <laughs> described every day of Ryan Storm's life. I'm guessing he's talking about what I described and not yeah, you, um, not because I think Ryan <laughs> was six years old in 2007. But um, Matthew Bro here shares that 2007 was our honeymoon year traveling in Asia. Amazing. Share that honeymoon uh, details. I mean, not all of them, but you know the the details about traveling. Share those in the chat here. Um, we I, I did that in 2014, and that that was I would love to compare countries visited and uh, what that was like because that was that was my honeymoon throughout that year. So, uh, really good stuff. But yeah, 2007 we had very different 2007s. I actually, <laughs> I remember it's funny. I one of my best friends. Um, he and his girlfriend at the time got pregnant, uh, very surprised in October, 2007. That was the first experience I had, uh, being close to people who were about to have kids. And I remember it was like, I was, I was in Amsterdam at the time and I was reading this email being like, Oh my God, like we're all going to become adults <laughs> here tomorrow. So you were, you were experiencing that as well. That's crazy. Yeah, it was, it was, I was so excited to be a mom. I was like trying that whole year. I got married the year before and I was so excited when that happened. I remember the moment I found out, I just couldn't wait. I was so excited. I loved being pregnant too. It was really fun. That's amazing. I mean, I made a baby inside me. Like it's so fucking cool. 
Yeah, it's like the coolest fucking thing in the world. <laughs> my my daughter said to me yesterday, "You were born too," and I was like, "Yeah, like oh you're realizing God, like that. this as well." Because um, we were talking about being brave and uh, the idea of giving birth and also being born and the adventure of being born and that experience. And um, anyway, we we will be there with uh, uh, in my world eight years from now. Um, <laughs> Justin Bruce. Big fan of yes. the friend of the pod. Also mentions 2007 is a strawberry jam and person pitchier. If those words mean nothing to you, I am so sorry, but I'm going to talk about that in a couple minutes. If those words do mean something to you, you know why 2007 was so, so good. Let's talk really quickly, though. I mentioned at the top here that 2007 was kind of the last year that we didn't have um, – you know, this anticipation of fish in our lives. Uh, 04, obviously we get Coventry. It's a breakup. 2005 is kind of this, like, what are these guys doing? You know, um, it's like shrouded in darkness. 2006, we talked about last week, you had at least the grab tour, which gave us kind of a hint of what post fish fish could be like, if it was going to be this way, 2007 was kind of, to me, the moment of like, okay, this is over for good guys. And Trey is in recovery right now. And, um, you know, Paige has a new album coming out. Fishman, I don't really remember what he was doing in 2007. Gordo was kind of active. You know, it, it was kind of this, uh, this experience where, um, uh, uh, I feel like it was the first time people were ex- accepting fish was out of our lives. So by a year from now, when we'll talk about this in 2008, there was suddenly anticipation that they were coming back. But 2007 was this like kind of lost year in terms of fish. What were your thoughts? Did you have any thoughts about fish in 2007? Did you have any consideration about the band coming back? I know that you were kind of in a break yourself at that point. Yeah, not really. You know, I took 2.0 off and I was really just in this world of like making a family, you know, I was really listening to, like I said, a lot of Grateful Dead. I was listening to some indie music, a lot of pop music, a lot of hip hop. And I was just, you know, kind of in this world of like, I'm an adult now. Fish is like something I listen to every once in a while, kind of like for nostalgia. But no, I felt very removed from it. And I, I don't know. I think I kind of always thought Fish would come back, but I don't know why that wasn't based on anything. But you know, I mean, when you love a band that much, you just always have a hope they're going to come back. You and my mom. Uh, my mom told really? me, <laughs> yeah, when I when I uh, when I got approval to go to Coventry, she was like, "They're just going to come back," and I was like, "No, no, no, no." <laughs> I was like, "They're like the Beatles; they will never come back. This has never happened." And she was like, "Okay, I know you love them, but you know they're not the Beatles. They may play the Beatles." I was like, "Um, you know." that's insulting mom. Let's, you know, let's move on from this conversation. Just let me go to Coventry. But she was right. They came mm-hmm. back a couple of years later and she actually remembered saying that and laughed in my face when she found out that they were coming back. She was like, I told you. Um, Moms are always right. Always. Um, I was kind of similar. This is where we align in 2007. I didn't really listen to them. And I'm going to talk about it here in a second. There were some of my favorite albums of all time came out in 2007. I was so deep in music discovery and learning about new music that to me, the idea of live music, I'm going to be honest, like kind of lost its luster. I was so into Mm -hmm. like studio, uh, uh, recordings and I was, I was, uh, I was so into the idea of like what a band could do in a studio. And I was, I was interested in like all these different sounds that I was hearing. And honestly, like the jam band world just felt very far away from me at this point in time. And I didn't really relate to it from a cultural standpoint. I didn't, 
have much of a desire to go to like the offshoot festivals. I wasn't, I hadn't mm-hmm. found like another jam band to jump onto. And it just kind of was something I wasn't paying attention to. And, um, actually like a good transition into our next topic as, as we're talking about this year, the one time I really engaged with the band, I was, when I was studying in Europe, I became really close friends with a guy who was, um, uh, an amazing musician and also happened to be a fish fan. And it was one of the things we discovered like two days into our trip was like in our past lives, which at that point was four years earlier, we were both diehard fish fans. And so he and I listened to, uh, the two twenty Oh three seven below, uh, on like a tiny little speaker hooked up to an iPod on a bench in <laughs> Amsterdam while smoking a joint that was like that big. And at one point, I I remember distinctly in the jam, he goes, listen to that right here. Page just shifted and the whole band listened to him. Everything is impacted by what Page does. And I'd never thought about it like that. And, you know, since then, like, I think that there's some give and take. Some band members have like peak periods when other band members are kind of like working through a transition. And, you know, that's kind of the beauty of the band. Like you get certain tours where Fishman is the star of it or certain tours where Mike is or Trey's having a great tour. But this was, you know, 2003 and a lot of what Paige was doing was really textural. He was playing on the baby grand a lot, but then he would go over to the clav and he'd, you know, do really nice things on the organ. And it was just the roads came into play. And I remember listening to it and being like, oh my God, I have to go back and listen to every single fish jam I've ever listened to, <laughs> to understand what Paige's impact was. But, um, and so you I'm did curious. that, right? Knowing and you. so I ended up doing that now. And, and then I was, <laughs> I was back down the rabbit hole. Um, I'm curious, like kind of from a broad perspective, I feel like Paige is the member that we just kind of, I don't want to say we take him for granted, but I think we do kind of, you know, he's just, he's, he's all reliable. He's, he's always there with cool sounds. Um, he's the most dapper member of the band. Uh, he's, he, you know, for a long time, I think had the best voice in the band. He's written some really like pleasant songs that like, just feel like pleasant rock songs. And then mm-hmm. also some really weird stuff. What are your thoughts on Paige as a member? And, um, you know, as, as like the impact that Paige has on fish. I mean, he's the chairman of the boards, right? I think, for me, Paige was always the person that I gravitated to outside of Trey. I'm always Paige side if I can be. Like, that's definitely where I choose to go if I have a choice about it. Although this tour, I spent a lot of time on Mike's side, and he won me over with his Ken outfits. But that's that's a digression. Um, Paige, to me, is, yeah, he's what's awesome about Paige. And I loved this week's kind of assignment to watch this show because I'd never seen it before, was just how effortless he makes things look. And I think that like watching him in the show today, which I'm really excited to talk about, you know, he moves through his, his whole kit so effortlessly. And I always have loved the textural work he's done with the band. And I think that listening back in succession this week to all of his solo albums, which I've listened to all of them, but not kind of together as a project like this, he's an incredible musician and composer. His music is so good and it's really varied you know he can write like kind of like classic rock he can write kind of the billy joel like piano ballad and then he can write really amazing ambient music he can write jazz standards like he's just he's so diverse as a composer it was really really fun to listen to him this week 
Matthew Bro, uh, who shared mm. his full details here that I'm going to post on the screen in a second because uh, his travel is is wild, amazing. But he 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 just writes, uh, he is the color. I think that that is such a really interesting mm. way to describe him because like Fishman is like he's the bedrock. Him and Mike are the bedrock. Like one of the beautiful things about those two musicians is they do add color in a rhythm section that usually in the rock world just kind of holds down the beat. But like they are there holding things down. Trey is the you know out front. He's the leader. He's the aggressive kind of force of the band but when a jam really takes off i think as matthew says here um uh, uh it's page he's the color um please more people share your thoughts on here neil landry um fantastic podcaster mm. and person himself notes when i found fish page's playing was the biggest attraction for me i'll always love his piano playing uh, it, it's it's interesting because i what you're describing megan what what pa- what neil just said there like i i, I had to learn to appreciate page for mm. me the the appeal to fish was three things it was that it was a combination of rock music and sports and like sports analyzing in terms of like the changing set lists <laughs> and the gags and all this sort of stuff and the way that i thought about sports was now being applied to music um the improvisational aspect of the band was something I'd never really experienced before. And like that hit me. And then it was Trey. And it was the fact that you have this guitarist who is so upfront, aggressive in your face over the years. And as like a band like this has so many layers that you learn to embrace and learn to understand. I came to appreciate page, but, um, it, it wasn't the first thing that hit me. Um, but, but, uh, I agree with you though. And one of my biggest takeaways is we'll talk about in this show is I don't understand why there's not more page songs in the repertoire. I know. I agree. (laughs) His songs are really good and he is an incredible singer too, which I think is something that like if they didn't have pages singing in fish, it would be a much different band. I agree. And I think like early on when I was a fish fan and like, um, one of the big knocks on the band was their vocals. I was always like, well, Paige like has yeah. one of the clearest, like crooniest voices in the world. Like he, he, he sounds like a classic singer in, in the Americana sense. Um, I absolutely love it. I think, you know, just shouting it out immediately because it's the song that hit me harder than any of them throughout the whole set, but the song complex wind. Um, yeah. I don't understand how that hasn't been played a hundred times by fish since 3.0 started. I have no understanding. It's a really good song, but then it has this open-ended jam that is like super weird and wild. And to your point, you get these varying sides of Page, like that solo album, the self-titled one, is like the most classic just Page sitting down at the baby grand piano and writing songs. Um, but then there's also like weirdness to it. But like as he's evolved and you get unsung songs and movies that unsung cities and movies never made Mm -hmm. that's it i love that record in 2013 i I still listen to it um maybe we're the visitors like his work with trey especially on january like he adds a weirdness to the band that doesn't come across when you just look at him at face value and he looks like the square in the overall band Um, i mean i think maybe we're the visitors is my favorite one of his albums that album is so incredibly vibey like that album came out, I think it was like in the winter. It was cold. I remember when it came out and I remember just being like playing it over and over again in the dark and just like, it was incredible. Yeah. I was pretty high up on, on uh, my, my year end list when that came out. It was amazing stuff. Um, we're going to gush more about page. Can you tell us, do you have your, your history report written about fish 2007 to give us a rundown of what was going on? <clears throat> you mean Meg's corner? Meg's corner. 
Yeah, I'm ready. Okay, here it is. You know, there's not that much going on in 2007. Um, in early January, Mike Gordon is going to join the group billed as The House Band with some members of the Grateful Dead, and they are going to play a party to honor the new leadership of the United States House of Representatives, a party hosted by Nancy Pelosi. And this group is going to include Mickey Hart, Bill Kreitzman, Bob Weir, Bruce Hornsby, and Warren Haynes, which is super cool. I didn't remember that he did that. Uh, Page is going to release his solo album, obviously, we've been talking about, and that's going to come out in April. And the other members of the band do appear on this album, but they don't all play together in a song, but pretty interesting. And then in July, Trey is going to release his instrumental album, The Horseshoe Curve, which I always want to call The Horseshoe Crab, but that's not the name of the album. <laughs> and this is his sixth studio album. It's going to come out on his Rubber Jungle Records. And it is recorded between 2002 and 2006. So some of it's live from, um, I think the title track is part of like the last tube jam. And then I think another song is recorded live too. Um, maybe Burlak Sack and Pumps, I don't remember, but, um, and that's going to be released this year as well. Um, and then of course, August 14th, I was watching this when we, Brian joined the stream today, when we were about to go live Trey is going to make a surprise guest appearance at SPAC with Dave Matthews Band, and he's mm. going to play Lie in Our Graves with them. And it's the first time that he's coming out and performing since he's been sober and been in recovery. And it is so emotional. I was posting about this on Twitter, and someone had said they had never seen it before. And so understanding the gravity of what Trey was going through and what he had just experienced and that he hadn't played you know, after he's been sober and made this huge life change and been in recovery, I think he had to get approval from the judge to perform. It is so emotional watching that performance. I cannot watch it without crying. The lyrics of this song are so incredibly moving and perfect for the moment. And watching Trey, you can see him kind of like ease into it. He's like kind of timid at first. And then you see Dave kind of like come up behind him and then Trey just unleashes and the crowd goes absolutely wild and it gives me goosebumps just thinking about it because you can see Trey appreciate performing at SPAC probably more than he ever has performed, like appreciated performing anywhere. And it's just a beautiful moment Two friends. Like you just see Dave like loving that his band, his friend is having that moment. And Trey is, it's just, it's so special. And if you haven't seen it, I'm sure everybody has, but if you haven't, you must. Yeah, you know, it's interesting just about that moment because I, I, I've watched it so many times. Um, when we talk about this period in fish history, I think there is a tendency by certain people to be like, well, we don't want to focus on the darkness too much. Yeah. And I get that. Like, we don't want to uh, glorify kind of the, 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 nasty parts of of the 99 to 2006 period in fish history and we don't want to over embellish it we don't want to share things that are unnecessary like there's a there's a delicateness to this to me though when i think about this period part of the reason why i'm fascinated with the darkness is because of that moment in particular because that moment is where all of this changes and that moment doesn't happen without the the real human story behind this of 
suffering and struggle and challenge and overcoming challenges and almost losing everything. And so I don't think we ever want to like embellish the really bad stuff. But personally, when I think about this, the really bad stuff leads to this really beautiful moment, which for a lot of artists in the past, we didn't get. And we got that with Trey. And I feel so lucky every time I watch that for him, that he got to experience that again. Um, I feel lucky for Dave, who has had his own challenges, that he got to see his friend come through on the other side. And then I feel really lucky for all of us. And I think about, you know, as I as we both talked about at the top of this episode, neither of us were really, you know, deep into the fish world at this point in time. And had they not come back, like I probably wouldn't have been. It would have been this thing mm-hmm. that I really cared about for a period in time and impacted the way I hear music, but it would not have stayed with me over the years um, like it has. And, you know, ever since late 2008, I mean, I've been back in, in a way that even more so than I was when I first got into it. And a lot of it comes from that moment. And I think there's a lot of fans that probably feel that way. And I think, you know, for Trey, there was, there were moments throughout spring, summer 2007, where he was starting to see, forgive the speech, but you know, he was starting to see the light and he was starting to see Mm -hmm. what was possible in this next phase of his world of, of his own life. And that, you know, he was still a really young man and was still able at that point in time to take this next step with his life and, and impact people in a really positive way. And it all kind of starts, I mean, that moment publicly is is the first time we see it. And it's so beautiful to think that that is when he's starting to see the light and appreciate everything that he's that he had with Fish in a way I don't think he ever would have had that not happened. And during this year too, while Trey is undergoing rehab and in recovery, the other members of Fish surprise him on his birthday and send him an instrumental recording that they've made for him to play along with on guitar. And Trey has said during this time that he spent 24 hours a day thinking about nothing but Fish. And so this is the beginning of the reunion. And it's so beautiful. And I, I totally agree with you, Brian. If you don't get the darkness, you don't get love and light. And you don't get 3.0. You don't get 4.0. This is, this is it. It's exciting. 100%. Anything else happen in 07? That's pretty much it. Yeah. We're, we're waiting for 2008 when we get Rothbury, we get Newport, we get the trade tour, we get the announcement and uh, we get, um, you know, some pretty cool stuff that's, that's happening as we move towards the, the uh, reunion. Can we transition and talk pop culture? Everybody's favorite segment of 40 for 40 before we dive into the show. I know it's mine. Let's do it. It's mine too. And especially (laughs) this, this episode, because as I said at the top, this might have been this 2013 and 2015, like might've been my favorite years I've ever lived on the planet. And um, (laughs) part of it has to do with, you know, I'm a, uh, I, I consume culture. I consume content. I just can't get enough of good television, good books, good movies, good albums. And this year is just rife with it. So just a quick rundown of the uh, Jonathan Hart sponsored best of the year. We're not doing top five (laughs) pop culture moments. This was inspired by our our co-host, John Hart. Um, Television in 2006 was quite good. We had season six of Curb Your Enthusiasm. We had the first season of Mad Men one of my favorite all time television shows. Yeah, it's crazy. It began in I 2007. That old. I thought that was a lot more recent. Neil Landry is a big fan of this segment. Neil? As well. Thank you, Neil. Yeah. Um, it's not just us. One of my, 
not just us. One of my favorite shows from 2007, which was a huge defining factor in my uh, study abroad trip, was uh, season one of Flight of the Concords. Um, just amazing stuff out of New Zealand. Uh, 22-year-old me thought it there'd never been anything funnier produced on the face of the planet. Um, and then my favorite television show of all time, The Sopranos, concluded in the spring and early summer of 2006. The final episode posting on june 10th 2007 have you ever watched the sopranos Mm, i have but i haven't watched the whole way through like i watched it intermittently which i know is totally wrong yeah i don't don't understand what you mean i know this is very this is gonna like upset you i i'm overwhelmed would you like read like chapters one through four of a book and then (laughs) be like i'm just gonna skip to eight and i'll just go to 23 (laughs) kind of i mean i just saw it sometimes like sometimes i would start a season and then i don't know it's very unlike me but i i never really got super into it maybe because i was watching it like that but like is it so overwhelming i mean aren't there a hundred seasons like can i really start it now I think there's like 80 episodes. I would, I would, I think it holds up. Really? It's incredible stuff. It gets a little slow in the middle seasons, but like by that point, you really like the characters and you really like the very imposter in dishes and uh, you're just, you're, you're there for the hang. Um, it's a, it's a good, and it, I think the last episode is excellent. Um, movies. I was talking with a close friend of mine. Um, I think 2007 might be the last great movie year. We've had some good movie mm. years since then but this was this was amazing i'm just going to run through this list here uh we had zodiac david fincher and uh jake gyllenhaal starring amazing stuff uh we had knocked up we had ratatouille an absolutely amazing pixar film uh the simpsons movie which was way better than it had any right to be super bad eastern promises so funny oh my god so good so good eastern promises excellent vigo mortensen uh uh political murder tale in the Ukraine. Um, and then we get into, this is like where it gets insane. The fall of 2007 is mind blowing. The assassination of Jesse James by the coward, Robert Ford, Brad Pitt, and um, Casey Affleck into the wild, the Darjeeling oh. limited, my favorite Wes Anderson movie. So good. Uh, Michael Clayton, which has one of my favorite endings of any movie in the history of cinema. Uh, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, excellent Ethan Hawke and Philip Seymour Hoffman movie. American Gangster, amazing Denzel Washington amazing performance. Movie. No Country for Old Men, I'm Not There, which uh, captures the essence of Bob Dylan better than I think any film ever has. The Diving Bell and the Butterfly, Juno, Walk Hard, maybe the strongest uh, uh, um, musical uh just like mockumentary that you could have made hilarious, hilarious movie, amazing John C. Riley, and my personal favorite movie of 2007. And one of my top three movies of all time, hmm. Daniel day Lewis in there will be blood. I've never seen that. I've never seen. Oh that. my God. I've never seen. <laughs> oh my God, dude. I've never seen. I love Daniel day Lewis. How have I oh my seen God. that? I don't There's know. Ne- it is like the best movie about what it means to be an American. It is so good. Really? Okay, I'm going to watch oh, that this God. weekend. But you didn't oh, mention God. a few of my favorite movies. Go on. Okay, La Vie en Rose. The That's movie good. about That's Edith Piaf. Yeah, yeah, I love that movie. And also there's a screen adaptation of my favorite book of all time, Love in the Time of Cholera, which is very good. And then did you ever see Lars in The Real Girl? Yes. Very good. But not for very a long time. Movie. Yeah, yeah, very good movie. Okay. And Atonement I really loved, but mostly because Atonement I Atonement was really, yeah, no, mm-hmm. it was good. 
Matthew Bro here with the line of the episode. He keeps he keeps coming. I drink <laughs> your milkshake. Um, all right, music. Do you know what the number one song in America was in the first week of July 2007? Let me think. Um, no. Hey, listeners. I want to tell you about Music Masters Collective, a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, the Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Stephen Page, Justin Furstenfeld, and many more. This June, join the Fab Foe and special guests from Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and so much more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open and spots are already filling up, so register soon. Scholarships are also available, and spots are extremely limited, so visit MagicalMysteryCamp.com slash HelpingFriendly to learn more. That's MagicalMysteryCamp.com slash HelpingFriendly. Hey listeners, I want to tell you about one of our great partners, DistroKid. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keeping 100% of their royalties and earnings. If you're a musician and looking to get your music out there, DistroKid is the way to go. DistroKid is available for iOS and Android and is now available in Apple's App Store and the Google Play Store. More than a million artists rely on DistroKid to get their music onto Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all other major streaming services. And with DistroKid, you can upload new releases, see your financial progress, get notified when you've earned royalties, withdraw money from the app, view and share links, check your streaming stats, and a whole lot more. DistroKid has more features than any other music distributor. Check them out today. Go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash helping friendly. That's distrokid with a capital K dot com slash VIP slash helping friendly for a special offer. Thanks, DistroKid. It might be the greatest pop song of all time. Beyonce? It's by Rihanna. Oh, Umbrella. Oh my God. I mean, she burst onto the scene with that song and it like, I remember when that song was huge and I remember I was like out to dinner with friends and it came on and I was super pregnant and I was like dancing and I was like, this song is so good. It will make like even a super pregnant woman dance to it. Like it is, she changed everything when she came out with that song. It's so good. Yeah. I love this song. Um, and I was still at an age and being in Europe, I was going to, uh, uh, dance clubs, which I've never done before in any other <laughs> fast of my life. And the song was played all the time. It was, amazing. it was, yeah. Um, record wise, this is an insane year. I'm just going to run through this, uh, burials untrue Radiohead in rainbows, uh, a record that came out by surprise. You could pay what you wanted for this record. Crazy. I, I remember being in a bar in Spain and a song from this album came on, which I'm blanking on the title. It was um, towards the end of the album. Um, I'm really embarrassed right now. That I can't remember it, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> it came on and I started talking with this guy next to me. And I was like, we were talking about the record. And he just looked at me and he goes, this album is the revolution. 
And like at the time, <laughs> it seemed like the most prophetic statement ever. I don't know really what he's talking about now in the verse, but um, stars of the lid and their refinement of the decline. LCD sound system, sound of silver. Oh my God. I love that album. Oh, <laughs> arcade fire and neon Bible. Bon Iver, forever, for Emma, forever ago. Oh, be still my give heart. Us, give us your thoughts on that because I know that you were listening to that a bunch this week. Yeah, I mean, that album at the time, I didn't listen to it in 2007. I don't even know when I found it, but when I found that album, I just, I don't think there's ever been a better Heartbreak album out there. Like, I just couldn't stop listening to it. And it was so great this week to put it back on and just relish in that. And the backstory is so cool. It's just like, you know, there's, when art is made because an artist needs to make it like for survival, that is like, there's just something different about the way that art hits and you can hear his needing to process his grief and his emotion in a way that is very rare in art. Gorgeous. I agree completely. I, I found this record. It hit me at a very specific point in my life. And I, I think it, it was tailor-made for people who were within kind of our range of age where um, you were going through things, you were processing these like adult feelings for the first time in a lot of cases. And an album like this went so direct towards it and the backstory complemented it. And it felt mm. like something that anybody could have made, which, you know, like there was an accessibility to his story and to what he was going through. Uh, just amazing stuff. Um, just continuing because there's so much. Uh, the National Boxer, uh, the record where the National becomes the National. Uh, Panda Bears, Person Pitch, um, I mean, this is my favorite record of 2007. It's one of my favorite records of all time. Um, I, I encourage anyone who hasn't listened to it and loves soundscapes to please go and listen to this. Uh, Spoons, ga 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 ga. I think I got. That I right. love this album. I love worst name it's ever. It's just so great. It's so good. Like this is the album you put on when you're like making dinner and you're having friends over and they're not here yet, but you're like almost ready and you're just like finishing the last bit of food that you're preparing and you like pour yourself your first drink and you're just like dancing in your kitchen like. I love this album, start to finish, so good. Yeah, this is kind of, I mean, I, I'm a huge Spoon fan. Um, and I think, you know, as their career has, involved, has evolved, like they've done this fascinating thing where they, kind of like the National, they stick within this like indie rock frame of reference, but they also like, they, they jump out and they experiment here and there. This record is is like Boxer, like this distills the Spoon sound and the Spoon vibe down yeah. to 10 songs, all very accessible, amazing, amazing stuff. Um, Andrew Bird's Armchair Apocrypha, Animal Collective's Star Strawberry Jam, Jens Lechman's Nightfalls Over Cortadala, The White Stripes' Icky Thump, Lowe's Drums and Guns, Modest Mouse's We Were Dead Before the Ship Even Sank, Bruce Springsteen Magic. If, if you are a Springsteen fan out there and you've not listened to Magic, I don't know what is going on with you, but you need to change that because <laughs> holy shit, this is like mid-2000s Bruce channeling 1970s Bruce. It's amazing stuff. Uh, the first great Deer Hunter record, Cryptograms, Wilco's Sky Blue Sky. Shout out Mr. Rob mm. Mitchum for coining the term dad rock as a result of this record, a record that has long lasted. Really? I didn't know his, that's his, where that came from. His review of it uh, about... Uh, Dad's listening to this record while they uh, mow the lawn, which is so goddamn accurate. But uh, this record has outlasted any like immediate disappointment people had that they like removed all the darkness from Wilco and just like reduced them down to these are the instruments, these are the musicians. It's a beautiful album. Probably it's in it's in the canon of Sunday morning albums. Uh, just a couple more because oh my god, this year, uh, 
St. Vincent's Marry Me, Marry Me. I think it's either her first or second record, but it's really, really beautiful, really artsy, kind of weird. Um, Kanye West, we can still talk about him in this period because yeah. Graduation came out <laughs> and Graduation fucking rules. Uh, MGMT's Oracular Spectacular and Bill Callahan's Woke on a Whale Heart. Um, my God, 2007 mm. was something else. And as Neil says, apparently my musical identity, my musical identity was solidified in 2007. Guess I forgot about that. I'm, I'm right there with you. This was everything I love today started in 2007. Um, well, that's the weird things about this project is like you go back and you realize like what happened in that year musically. And it's like, whoa, like two albums that I just want to add that you didn't mention that were huge please. for me were Jay-Z's American Gangster. This was huge. It was the soundtrack to the film. It showed he still had the lyricism and the ability to make music with feeling. First really good album post his like retirement. And, you know, I think that the soundtrack allowed him to talk about like the hustler that that he once was and tap into that kind of striving. And that's what Jay-Z does best. So I love that album. And also Kala by MIA. She is just a force to be reckoned with. And this album is so singular. Her music is just doesn't sound like anybody else. It's got like that pop club sensibility with like Bollywood stuff. And she's just, she does everything and she does it so well and interesting. You put on an album of hers and it's not, you're not relaxing and chilling out. You're intellectually engaged the whole time. And I love that about her. Love that stuff. Um, I think to your point, like the thing that makes this project so fascinating is not only are we charting fish history, but we're charting our own history and we're charting what really yeah. like you know, impacted us. And Chris, Chris Lambry, great, great call here. I, I you're right. I, I should have mentioned mm. this as well. Sh the shins wincing the night away. Amazing, amazing record that, that showed that there were some long lasting ideas for them that they were not just a early two thousands kind of, here's a few big singles. Here's a few big al albums like shoots and ladders is a great record, but this one wincing the night away is awesome. Um, two additional points I want to make about 2007 because i am introducing one new subsection to this show so uh new 24 parents, shows in the parents, the parents aren't are here we're introducing them all right so on this day which I, I try to find something that happened on the day of each show and sometimes there's just not much that happens but on this day july 8th 2007 roger federer won wimbledon for the fifth straight year he mm. built he beat rafael nadal in five sets one year later Nadal would win in what I think is the best tennis match ever played. Um, so this is like peak Roger, which is also um, my mom wanting to be in a second marriage because Roger Federer was everything we for all, her. We um, all, we uh, all do. We I mean, all do. I mean, we all do. The new section I want to fit in, though, is who won in American sports in this year. And so we're going to start 2007. <laughs> this is only something you're doing because Jonathan's not here. I think everybody does, but when Jonathan and RJ are definitely the ones who keep Brian and I hemmed in. So like this is for sure going off the rails and I'm loving it. So go ahead. We're speaking about a one set show here. We got to have some content. <laughs> Super Bowl 41, the Colts over my pathetic bears. The NBA Finals, the Spurs over the Cavs, the NHL Stanley Cup, the Ducks over the Senators, and the World Series, the Red Sox over the Rockies, who won 21 of 22 games before being swept by the Red Sox. Was that – I was in Boston for one of the Red Sox wins. One of when, the Red Sox when wins. When did they now, win? This cursed that franchise that has won that. four and – they won no, 04, but, 07, 13, and uh, 18. It must have been 04, I think. That was the must big have been one. 04. That was the curse yeah. breaker. 
Yeah. So I was at a bar. This is really going off the rails. We were at a bar like not that far from Fenway when that happened. And that was like the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. So I was in college watching that. And even in Montana, people were, were losing their minds. Um, yeah. Neil, I'm, I'm here for a great tennis match of all time bracket. I've got like 50 <laughs> no. in my head that I can share and start to rank with you. Um, <laughs> all right. Thank you all for hanging with us here as we went 42 minutes. Uh, nearly, it's impressive. Nearly the length of the Berkeley tweezer. Um, talking about <laughs> not the show in question, which is July 8th, 2007. <laughs> So we're going to dive into this. Um, one thing I want to note, this show is not available on Relisten. There are mm-hmm. only two years in fish history that are not on live fish, two years post-1990, uh, 2007 and 2008. So we had to do a lot of digging here, and we did discover mm-hmm. this show. It's on YouTube. And when I say digging, there are only 754 views on YouTube. And I have I to imagine that... 15 of those are from us over the last week, just logging back. (laughs) Nobody's watching this and I don't really understand it. It's a full show. It's page as the center of it. There's some really, really cool moments throughout this. We're going to talk a bit about it, but um, we, we should post this link. um, Mm -hmm. I should probably post this here in the comments. Um, Do you want to read through the set list while I, I get this pulled up for people? Yeah, so this is at the High Sierra Music Festival, and Paige had a pretty good-sized tour that spring and summer. He did over 20 dates, mostly from late May through July, and he was playing venues like Irving Plaza, the 930 Club, the Fillmore, the Fox Theater, and he is the headliner here at Sierra Music Festival in Quincy, California, and he played two shows this day, I believe, but this is the second show, and yeah, this is a great, great video of this, and the set reads as Stuck in the Middle with You. Heavy Rotation, Maid Marion, Complex Wind, Runaway Bride, Walk the Proud Land, Back in the Basement, Rules I Don't Know, Close to Home, Beauty of a Broken Heart, Cars, Trucks, Buses. So I just posted a link for for people. Um, Don't watch it now. Keep watching us. But afterwards, (laughs) if it intrigues you, because I I imagine a lot of people haven't heard the show. Um, Let's dive into this and maybe we take this in threes um, okay. just as kind of we work through the set because it's it's um, it's a full, basically like a two-hour set that happens right around sundown. It's a really, like by the end of the show, it's just beautiful in Quincy, California. Yeah. Like the the sun is just set and it looks cooler. And um, But Paige comes out and you get, you know, a real sense of, I say this lovingly, why Paige is not the band leader in Fish. Um, <laughs> totally. He, I don't think he loves this role. He does embrace it. And like, you know, it's a small, very friendly crowd and people are clearly amped to see him and he rises to the occasion, but you do get a sense throughout the show that like, he doesn't want to do like the mid song banter. He kind of just wants to play and let Trey or, you know, Fishman talk to the crowd. Um, Although there was that period in like early 3.0 where Paige would greet the crowd, like two songs, (laughs) which was very strange. Um, So stuck in the middle with you, heavy rotation made Marion. What were your big highlights from this opening segment? Um, really quickly, I just wanted to kind of talk a little bit about who he's playing with. He's playing mm. with um, Jared Slomoff, who's a record producer, engineer, musician in Burlington. He's worked on a lot of Fish albums. He's playing the keys, the backup vocals, and a little bit of guitar as well. And he's on this tour with Paige. I think most of them do most of this tour. On lead guitar is Adam Zimmon, and he's also toured with them with Vita Blue. Is it pronounced Vita or Vita Blue or Vita Blue? 
I've always pronounced it Vida. Vida. Okay, so he toured with Vida Blue as well. And Rob O'Day, he is playing bass on this tour. He's also an engineer in Burlington, and he only Sick played on this bass. tour. Yeah, he's so good. Um, he's not on the album, but he's on this tour. And then on the drums, we have Gabe Jarrett. He is an adjunct professor at the University of Vermont, and his dad was Keith Jarrett, who is the pianist and composer who played with Miles Davis. Just kind of Unbelievable cool. pianist. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So anyway, it's got a great band, and I think that they have like – a pretty good flow and vibe together. I think the show in general has really great flow and really good set listing. I think Trey does a uh, page does a good job of like having a few covers in there and ending with the fish tune, but I think they start off nice. I think stuck in the middle with you, the Steelers wheel cover page voice sound amazing. It's a perfect opener. Like give the crowd something they know. My only note on stuck in the middle with you is why, um, so it's we're just going to, uh, it's like, you got to give the crowd something they know to start out with. You didn't like it. <laughs> no, I, I don't like this song. And I've now gone two this weeks. It's a great song. Really? You think so? C- can you give me it's like, like a class? It's like a classic. Like, it sounds like you're like, I don't know, watching TV in the eighties or something. Like it's just, yes, it does. maybe you're too young. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I might be, this may be an, you, you could, you can give me the ageism argument. That's totally fine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know. This song reminds me of, uh, like for whatever reason, this song was played like at every middle school dance I went to because I feel <laughs> <Really>? as though <laughs> the DJ at our middle school dance assumed that this was music that like, we wouldn't pay attention to this song. Like we would just like, like it would just be able to be played and be like a fun background music song. And like yeah. me being the hypercritical 11 year old <laughs> at a middle school dance was like, I fucking hate this song. He's over there like timing the, the set list starts like with his arms crossed and just imagine you. <laughs> I just, uh, I don't know the song for whatever reason, it's never, it's never connected with me. It's always felt like, um, someone, it's like a mosquito in my ear and I'm, I'm fascinated to know that, uh, you, you really like this song. And I, I I think that, uh, I'm going to need to dive into both the lyrical concept and the history behind the song. I'm not going to do this with Mustang Sally because I've refused (laughs) to give that song any cred, but I will at least listen to this song. Okay. Listen, I haven't listened to it that closely and I'm not going to (laughs) like die for this song. All right. I'm just saying, I don't mind it as like an opener at a festival you know it's just like whatever but um but this is interesting that you feel so strongly about it it's good to know I'm you can dive spent... into it and report back <laughs> i'm glad that we spent three <laughs> minutes debating this song um heavy rotation uh to me it's crazy this has only been played three times by fish i, I completely yeah. forgot this was played at dicks this is like in the home hall of fame for me of like a, a page song that sounds just like a song but then mm-hmm. it has this really cool jam segment in it and i feel like this is a song that like could be this along with home could be developed further by fish and and give them something that like it's just a classic mid set one song that has like all this open space jamming. I thought this was really cool. And, um, you know, made Marion, I, I remember hearing this song when it came out and it was like that song that was the very clear, like page had a rough couple of years there and, and had a lot of yeah. personal strife and challenges. And like a couple of these songs made Marion runaway bride, uh, rules. I don't know beauty of a broken heart. These are like, just pour your heart out. You talk about totally. like the sense, the sentiment around, um, uh, the Bonavera record, um, uh, uh, you know, that we talked about earlier, 
these are in that sort of like confessional, like I'm not going to hide behind what happened. I'm just going to talk openly about the challenges in my life. And I think there's something really admirable in that from a uh, songwriting standpoint. And um, I don't know, this song both has that and it just has this beautiful kind of fading jam with Paige on the lead. I don't know what your thoughts were on these two. I love heavy rotation. When I saw you and I have both seen two of the performances then, because when they played it at AC last year, mm. it was that moment when nobody knew what, what was being played, you know, and everybody was like looking around like, what is this? Um, I love it. It's just like, it's got an easy swing to it. And then the rock breakdown, the guitars, guitar like gets after it. Then it has this like energetic kind of like devolving type one jam page, just going after it on the electric piano. So good. He builds the intensity. Yeah. I think this song should get more play with fish for sure. And I like Made Marion too. It has like a satisfying chorus and a great solo moment. Beautiful, really delicate ending with the keys. It's a nice song. Yeah. It's really nice. And it leads into my highlight of the overall set, which is Complex Wind. Um, to me, I'd, I'd completely forgotten about this song. I I hadn't gone back and really listened to the page solo, the, the self-titled album in quite some time. And I went back and re-listened to that record alongside of watching the show and the jam in this version, I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. it shows what has made, like as Fish has evolved since 2007 and when they got back together and so much of, I think those early years of 3.0 were propped up by Paige and Mike really adding mm-hmm. color to the band in a way that Trey couldn't at that time quite yet. He could like, he, he had moments, but like on a consistent basis, like if you listen to those Hampton 09 shows, the star of that run is Paige and so much of his impact on the band to me in my ears, I like root back in a song like this where he was still, once he got, once he got into a good place, he was experimenting, he was evolving, he was developing further as a keyboardist. And you hear it in a song like this that like, I mean, if we're going to get three heavy rotations in a 12 year period in time and a 15 year <laughs> period in time since this song was written, like we should at least get a couple complex wins. This song rules and it's it's the type of thing that would add a very different tone to a fish second set if it was played. I can see that. I love the beginning of this version too. He like puts the loops on to start and he looks around, he takes his hands away as if to say like, I'm not doing it. It's just really cool. (laughs) This song has like that, like Pink Panther vibe. It's like super fast electronic drum beat. It's the drummers killing it. And then it's got that like deep growly bass lines, a lot of distortion, switching tempos. And then it gets like really psychedelic and Paige starts doing those like really juicy spacey noises, but there's still a rhythm underneath. It's just, this is great. Paige jumps on the organ at the end. Then they come back like really effortlessly into the kind of undercover vibe that they had at the beginning and the riff of the song. I loved this too. Probably one of the highlights of the show. I thought this also had a really big impact on just the rest of the set in that it kind of settles the band in, in a nice way. Mm -hmm. Cause runaway bride kind of seventies McCartney type of, you know, it's very, very, it's almost like Jackson Brown. Um, (laughs) it's, it's that like warm, like studio driven, um, you know, confessional song similar to what made Marion was, but it doesn't sound straightforward here. Like the band sounds like they've like eased back into like a really comfortable chair and you know, it, it's what you imagine, you know, sessions at the barn are like after a couple of days, once the guys like really get settled in and that song and walk the proud land, which it's kind of like a white Caribbean yam, you know, these songs <laughs> right. showcase that like 
Page seems like he's a really good hang. He just seems like the kind of guy who, for as for as much as I said earlier, like I don't know how much he loves the idea of being the band leader. It does seem in this band, and I got it really in the vibe in these, you know, kind of midway through this set, that this is 100% Page's band. And these guys are here playing their heart out for Page, and you know they want to show up here for Page in the way that, like, you see the people in Tab, like they're all surrounding Trey. Like to see Page in the center there, and and to see him in these kind of songs as we're going from jazz to confession to kind of almost a Yamar type of feeling to back of the basement, which is heavier and rock. Like this is all stuff through Page's heart and soul, and people are really showing up for that. It's a cool thing. Yeah. And I think that a lot of these people, these musicians are also, you know, engineers and producers that have been working with the band. So you get the sense that like Paige has really great relationships with the people that he works with. And, you know, you could see them, yeah, being excited to tour with him and play with him and, and they're having a great time. And yeah, it's a fun little reggae cover, fun little Bob Marley cover. And then, but back in the basement gets after it. It's like, it's nice rock and roll. It's like groovy. It gets jazzy. And this is a killer jam. This is one of those moments that I kind of wanted to have timestamps to know like how long these songs were because I wasn't tracking it. I was wondering if you were, but I was like thinking like, how long has this jam been? It's really good. I liked it a lot. Yeah. And the recording on the album is around 10 minutes. So, like you, mm-hmm. you get the sense of like, they, there's just open experimentation as they're, as they're playing this. I, um, I think you bring up a really interesting point about like, you know, him employing session musicians and engineers, um, from, from Vermont on his, on his records. And it's something like, I was just thinking about it, how in, in all, pretty much all the cases, you know, tab, Mike Gordon band, um, uh, jazz mandolin project, like, you know, and, and here in, in, when these guys are playing solo, they're not like going to New York or LA to mm-hmm. find musicians in a lot of cases. Like they're bringing guys out of Burlington, Vermont who, you know, any small town in America is going to have bar bands and it's going to have mus- musicians like local musicians who run, you know, the, uh, the record stores or run the guitar shops. And then they play at the bar down the street and, you know, cl- you know, classic rock band and they're really good musicians, but they're not getting attention outside of that town. And the cool thing about fish is that they're bringing those guys out into the wider world. And it's, it's a, I don't want to say noble, but it's, you know, it's a, it's a really good way to give back to the community that's given them so much is really propping up these musicians. Um, back in the basement, just really quickly, my one note from a, uh, from a jam standpoint is, um, I got a very goose feel from this, this jam. It is very peak driven pages on the organ. Um, it is not going into like complex dissonant space in a lot of cases. It's really like the peak is, is everything. And, And you really get a sense of, um, you know, for me as a listener, like where a lot of my, my interests will go as, as, as I evolve is, is the sense of just like a really warm, uh, and, and kind of like a warm embracing peak that you get here. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. I want to go back and listen now for that. That's cool. And I think how it goes into Rules I Don't Know, which has that kind of Billy Joel, like lounge singer song, which is really nice. I love how it gets quiet and really highlights Paige. And I think it's a nice kind of balance to Back in the Basement, which is pretty big. I agree. And then we move in. Yeah, Rules I Don't Know, Close to Home, Beauty of Broken Heart, close out this main set. Um, Rules I Don't Know. I mean, this is, it's, broken it's shattered it is it is the type of thing that like 
he wrote, I, I was reading his letter because I'd forgotten Paige wrote a letter a couple weeks after Trey's to break up the band. And Paige writes a letter that basically talks about how he's gone through a lot of personal changes in his life. He had been, he'd recently been through a divorce. The most important thing in his life at that point was his, his daughter. And he wanted to get off the road for a bit. You just get this sense. Well, he also talks in there about how he, and these guys were like my age right now when fish was breaking up in 2004. And I just had this experience. I went back to my college town like three or four weeks ago and I'm it's 20 years since I went to college. And it was just like, just mind blowing experience of like thinking about how much time has passed since then and how much I thought I knew of myself when I went there and how much I've experienced since those, that period in time. And Paige talks about how being in this band since he was in college, he's almost for 20 years thought about the past because even mm. as the band was evolving, they were staying true to this thing that they started in 1985. And it was the first time in his life as an adult that he really had the opportunity to think towards the future and think about the present and what, what was to come and not about who he was based on fish. And so I hear rules I don't know. And I almost hear like, you know, obviously I'm talking about a divorce, but hear him talking about like, I had no idea life was supposed to work this way. And I had no idea mm. like, these things were going to change. And did you get that sort of sentiment from, from these lyrics? Like, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I think so many of these songs are so self-reflective. And I think about what it must be like, you know, so many of us have huge dreams and we have to adapt those dreams because of reality. Well, these guys had huge dreams and they came true, you know? And I think that you, totally. when you're on that, you're riding that wave and you're just, you're just in that dream. And I think that, when that ends, then you have to look at what's outside of that dream that you have. And I think that that's something that when you do give up a dream, it's usually because you want to fill your life with other things too, right? And certainly in, in my life, I can relate to that. So I can imagine if you have filled your life mainly with this dream, when it ends, it's kind of like, well, now I have to really look at what's here, right? And like, it's sobering. And, and I think that that I haven't read that letter in a long time, but I'm going to go back to that because it's interesting hearing him reflect like that and think about that. And so many of these lyrics are like that. Just, I mean, Beauty of a Broken Heart is like, it's the, an incredible song. I have, you know, I've known about the song and I've knew what the lyrics were about, but going back and reading them, they're stunning. They're really beautiful. I'm skipping ahead in the show, but it's just incredible. It's incredible lyricism. It has like such a great hook. It's so thoughtful. Knowing that it was written after the fish breakup, you know, it's just knowing that they played it at Hampton when they came back, you know, it's just, it's a really meaningful song. Yeah. It's only been played 14 times. Um, the last time played was October 17th, 2021. I've, I think I've only seen it once, maybe twice. I, I remember mm. distinctly seeing it, um, late in set one on 12, 2016 and it hitting particularly hard. I agree with you. I think it gets a weirdly bad rap i think a lot of these like mid-tempo page songs are viewed incorrectly as kind of like mm -hmm. uh bathroom breaks or as kind of like set pausers i i tend to find i mean i don't love all of them i'm not a i'm personally not a huge fan of like army of one but i think what yeah. like what really makes this song work is he's written like this almost straightforward confessional piano ballad that like that image like brings up, you know, Billy Joel, Jackson Brown. It's almost like 
uh, it's like an inside joke in like classic rock, but like he roots the song in the groove and like the bass is what drives mm-hmm. the song. And so you have these very personal, reflective, just like naked lyrics about how he felt going through this experience, but also the upside of that and what that makes you realize. But then within that, like, is this thing that defines so much musically of what I love about Paige is that there's a groove and that there is a dedication to experimentation. So you have these like two things working where it's very standard, straightforward, 70s rock and then also like he's bringing in different sounds and it makes those lyrics which in a different setting i think would fall a little bit flat it with the way he's uh scored the song and the way that like musically it, it it comes comes across it comes across much more complex all right everyone well i think we're gonna wrap up there thank you all so much for joining us i love everyone in the chat really appreciate you and We'll be back next week. We'll be talking about 2008. I have an idea what we're going to talk about, but I'm not going to share it yet. So we'll be putting that out on socials really soon. But in the meantime, have a great week and we'll see you in 2008 next Friday. Thanks, everyone. Hi, this is Paul Phelps. And this is Monica Strutt. And we're from the Daily Music Business Podcast. We're joined by a number of other really great hosts in creating daily content with great advice for independent musicians just like you. That's right. We put out episodes daily on all topics from music marketing to branding, advice on signing with a manager and label and anything else you need to up-level the business side of your music career. We've got it covered. Subscribe to the Daily Music Business Podcast today on your favorite podcast catcher. Subscribe today to the Daily Music Business Podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard.